0: Welcome to BingeWorthy, a podcast dedicated to telling you which of these many dozens of streaming shows that are being thrown at you each week and month are worth your time and attention. Hosted by myself, Mike D'Angelo, and today I get to talk to you about another Apple TV Plus drama, this time called The Crowded Room. Uh, Created by Akiva Goldsman, the show follows Danny, played by Tom Holland a young man who was arrested for a violent crime in the 1970s and the complex case that arose from the accused man's unique condition. Let's just say that. Uh, The show is inspired by a true story and also stars Amanda Seyfried, uh, Emmy Rossum, Christopher Abbott, Sasha Lane, and many more. Joining me to discuss the series is writer, showrunner, Oscar winner, legend Akiva Goldsman, who has been working steadily as a writer, producer, director since the 90s. You may know his work in films like The Client or Batman Forever or Batman and Robin and A, A Beautiful Mind, The Da Vinci Code, Cinderella Man, Fringe, all the Star Trek shows on Paramount Plus and much, much more. He's a great interview because of all that I just mentioned and all that he's been involved in in you know across the industry so we get to touch on you know the crowded room we get to touch on his batman years star trek Constantine 2 and I Am Legend 2, which he's involved in currently, Fringe a, a little bit, uh, and so much more. But before we get to my chat with Akiva, I've got to tell you that Bingeworthy is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, The Discourse, Templo Talk, Amayans Podcast, Deep Focus, and more. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Follow, like, subscribe, drop us a comment or a rating, as we greatly appreciate it or just head on over to theplaylist.net for film and TV news, interviews, reviews, and more. As a reminder to our listeners, The Crowded Room is currently streaming each week on Apple TV+. Okay, here is my chat with the very talented, the very fascinating Akiva Goldsman. Doing very well. Thanks for talking to me today. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Where are you on this fine day? I'm in the the lovely exotic Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's currently. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right.
1: Oh, and how is it? Is it very smoky?
0: It's been pretty rough the past couple of days. I guess people have been comparing it to like the New York thing that it
1: happened was, a few weeks back. It was something, man. It Were was like, I well, yeah, I'm here in New York now and it was uh definitely a science fiction movie.
0: Yeah. It looks like it. It just like yeah. our, the sun's red. Everything's yeah, like,
1: yeah, crazy, man.
0: It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's total
1: recall, right? And when they get yeah. to Mars. Yeah.
0: <laughs> get your ass to Mars. All right. Um. So, time fan, as you can see by the uh the t shirt. Oh, on, nice. Right?
1: Yeah, nice. actually,
0: in the hat. Oh yeah. Um, by the way, <laughs> I, that's a good hat. I somewhere I have a sweatshirt from
1: production with that logo, and I'm it's a good logo.
0: It is. It's so good. I love it. So to not only be talking to you at the time for The Crowded Room, but also to be jumping on with you when I'm just like churning through Star Trek Strange New World Season 2 and loving every second of it. It's an absolute perfect time to to get you, so I appreciate
1: awesome. it. Well, my pleasure.
0: Yeah, congratulations on all of it. But let's start with Crowded Room, which is loosely based on this book about the life of Billy Milligan. Let's just start with what drew you to that story and like how you got into it.
1: Uh, OK, so, you know, and Crowded Room started for sure as kind of a more literal adaptation of, you know, the lives of the, the minds of uh, Billy Milligan, the Daniel right. Keys book. And as we worked with the material, it actually sort of deviated from that so that even the source credit is changed. It no longer even says based on it's inspired by um, because, you know, Billy's story is specific and his fate is specific. And, you know, our our created character, Danny, was a very different journey. Um, You know, and there were a couple of things that were sort of important to me. You know, it's Billy's story and Danny's story are both pretty grueling. And so for me, I needed a a narrative that was hopeful at the end. Mm. And the book itself, when it was published, ended on a hopeful note. But then the kid's life went on, right? And so I I needed to, I I felt like if you're going to stick with us for 10 hours of that, you got to have some hope. And I also i I sort of wanted to explore trauma in more ways than might have necessarily existed in the in in the book. So, you know, you see all all sorts of characters having sort of it, there are a lot everybody's struggling with some version of trauma in in the show. And so that required a bunch of fictionalizing,
0: yeah. that and like if you do the deep dive on on Billy, it gets dark, like, <laughs> And that's where you're like, can you root for a character like this? Is that why you kind of had to diverge?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, whether you, you can or can't, it's hard to look at Billy's life and say, oh, it ends on, you know, it, it ends on promise. Right. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about always surviving mental illness. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I want, I, for me, the, the stories of those of us who have had struggles or continue to have struggles with, mental illness. I want people to know that we prevail, you know, and so stories are not everybody's life, but they're there to inspire. Right. Mm-hmm. So we can be there to inspire. And so so this is this is a story whose whole purpose is to get you to believe you can get through it no matter how grim. And that may be Pollyanna of me, but I would rather tell that story than the you don't get through it.
0: well there's that and there's also the twist of it all like if you don't know anything about this story i think this week is where people are going to get the the rug kind of pulled out from under them isn't it
1: yeah Um, i think so i think so yeah
0: so so far it's kind of revealed that we've you know been meeting his personalities and it's an interesting choice to take this long for the reveal? Did you really want people to invest in all those characters before you pulled that rug? Or what was the, that, the narrative? Yeah, I mean,
1: the hope was that folks would come to it and sort of just be interested in the life he was leading. And then you'd start to realize it pretty quickly, I think. You know, for those of us who are familiar with this gag in movies from you know, The Sixth Sense to depart A Beautiful (laughs) Mind, you know, we've all right, I've I've done it, we've all seen it, you know, that it's just, you know, somebody wrote interestingly, recently, it's not really about the audience learning about the condition of Billy's mind, it's about Billy or Danny, Mm. it's not really about the audience learning about the condition of Danny's mind, it's about Danny learning the condition of his mind, right, and Mm. Danny discovering that he's fractured in that way. So, you know, I think that it's not hard to figure out pretty quickly. And then it's supposed to be sort of fun to see who is and who is isn't and how that plays out. It was very interesting because we did ask, well, and I think ultimately, you know, I think this was a mistake that we all made is we sort of said when we sent it out, you know, please don't spoil. Mm. And it got a very interesting response. People were angry that they were being told not to spoil it. And the reviewers, there was a very funny thing about that, which I don't understand, but at least the audiences seem to really like it. And I think they are along for the ride.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, My wife didn't necessarily see the twist coming. So I I like clocked it. So I'm just waiting for it to the shoe to drop. And then I watched her kind of realize it. So it was was pretty fun. You know, and then Um, it
1: keeps, you know, sort of, you know, it sort of folds on itself again and again, hopefully. Exactly.
0: And then there's like, I mean, when it comes to like the whole like MPD or DID of it all, there's a lot of debate in the the like psychological community. Like were you ever tempted to wrestle with the is it real of it all? Or was that just too much, too muddying of the waters?
1: You know, I think that what the show has going for it is it's, it's period, right? Mm-hmm. And so really the current conversation about DID isn't the conversation that was happening then. The conversation that was happening then is pretty much the conversation that you see in the show. Now that conversation has been echoed, right? Some say yay, some say nay, but fundamentally at that moment, it was new, right? People, Mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and I think the thing that if you think about it in sort of a, sort of a meta sense, the things that we consider diagnoses in one moment in time are so wildly different from that which we consider a diagnosis later. So mental illness keeps changing form. So not only is multiple personality disorder now just disassociative identity disorder, and there's a shift in symptoms, there's some adjustment of symptomatology in the understanding of of how it presents. But think about before there was PTSD. Think about when homosexuality was a diagnosis, oh, yeah, right? You know, that, that that we always think of these sort of mo- maps of the mind and these diagnoses as empirical. They're not. That book, the DSM that Raya is talking about, she's trying to get the diagnosis put into the DSM by the end. You know, that's a bunch of people lobbying and showing <laughs> examples. And, you know, it, it ain't like physical health where you're like, I see the tumor. And that's part of why you know, Stan has PTSD at a time where that was just emerging as a real thing. People coming out of Vietnam were, you know, now we're very used to it, but it was brand new then, you know, it had been shell shock in world war II, and that was not considered real. And so it's about how we manage our suffering, I guess. And whether we call that sane or mad.
0: So it all kind of like hangs on the performance of Tom, like, this you had to be going into it knowing, like, we got to get this guy right. Well, and yes. So, how, how like exhaustive was that? Or did you just know, like, Tom's my guy, I got to get Tom?
1: So, Tom's my guy, I got to get Tom. That, so that I didn't know. And then an Apple too, that was like, cause Apple was sort of like, it's so dark. We're going to make it, but you're going to have to get one of like two people. And this was our, Tom was our first choice and Tom was kind enough to sign on. And, you know, and I think that what was complicated is, you know, we didn't shoot it entirely in order Mm. um, because it actually took a while to get that interview set up and built. It's actually an AR set. There's actually a a virtual wall out that window. It's not unlike the one we use in Star Trek. It's much simpler. But um, so we ended up shooting a bunch of the interview scenes all at once. Anyway, as Tom will say, there's almost 90 pages in that room, you know, and, huh. and so he had to sort of move back into the characterizations from time to time. Also, we, you know, you start to see in episode eight, we shot scenes twice, you know, some scenes with an altar and some scenes with Tom. And and so I, I think that what was, I think, grueling was not actually the work, but the volume of work compared to the volume of work one does in a feature. Because you have to remember that we shot about 127 days for 10 hours of material. A Marvel movie shoots about 127 days for two hours of material, right? (laughs) So the number of scenes you're rocking through in a given day is just more. It's just more pages every day in television. Yeah. And they're not easier. They're just
0: more of them. Yeah. And, and it certainly uh, explains kind of the narrative that, you know, Tom's been talking about where he just became mentally just drained and exhausted and needed a break after this. Yeah, well, you,
1: you know, I mean, you've got to live in that guy, in this guy he created, you know, for a really long time. And, you know, there's no respite. There are no big green screen moments. You know, there's yeah. no, um, you know, I, and now we'll have the digi double swing from the roof. It's all Tom, all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: and he does turn in a great performance. Yeah, I, I yeah. feel bad that he's kind of just
0: saddled with this. Like everybody wants to bring up reviews and reviews and reviews, and he has to keep answering for that. Have you called him and like reached out and been like, dude, I've been in this game for a long time. Sometimes that you get good reviews, sometimes oh, you get bad
1: oh, reviews. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, it's and okay, you know, and, and and we talk a bunch about how much people like it, you know? And that's what matters, you know? We built it in order to connect with folks, you know? We Mm -hmm. built it explicitly to be an empathy generator. And it feels like for real people, you know, dare I cite the 89% positive audience response. And, you know, and we keep, you know, and, you know, we're rock worth number three on Apple and, you know, it's people like the show and that's sort of the only thing that you can take away as well as doing your best work and believing in it. I, I'm really proud of it.
0: Yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk Star Trek for a minute. Cause like I said, I've been, I've been churning through those. They gave me six episodes of this, this second season. I just love strange new worlds, man. Thank like you. all of these shows have such a unique kind of flavor to them. Discovery Picard, you know, uh, strange new worlds. You're involved in all of them. How much involvement do you have at this point with those Star Trek shows?
1: So I was only involved in disco for the first year and a half. So that okay. I sort of helped set it on its way. I'm sort of, you know, uh, I'm probably, you know, one of the principal engineers of the dark, long serialized version of that show at the beginning, you know, which is sort of the Jason Isaacs thing and Sneak yep. and that, you know, that, that thing and, and Michelle. And and then I started trying to develop Picard, which, you know, I essentially Michael and I Michael ran it and I helped him run it for season one. Uh, then I ran season two and Terry helped me and then Terry ran season three all by himself. So the truth is, I had a tremendous amount to do with Picard for seasons one and two and kind of was a delighted audience member for season three.
0: Yeah. And a great note to end on too. such yeah. a great little yeah. last season yeah. they created.
1: Yeah. And that was really, you know, and I, I really. Terry gets all the credit for that because, in fairness, when Michael and Kirsten Byers and Alex and I pitched Patrick at first, we were sort of like, hey, let's do that. And he was like, oh, no, 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 we won't be doing that. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I'm a TOS guy, which is why the thing that I live and breathe is Strange New Worlds. I started making up Strange New Worlds on the set of Discovery. I mean, the reason the Enterprise ends up, you know, at the end of the season, I'm trying. Like, I'm agitating moment I land on that set. So for me, the sort of postmodern version of Picard was interesting. Terry is a next gen kid. He is to next gen mm-hmm. what I am to TOS. So he was like, yeah, great, fine aging, <laughs> okay, philosophy, great. Let's get the band back together. And he was so passionate about it that he convinced everybody. And um, it, is so, great. it is great. And so for me, my my Star Trek is Strange World. Um, yeah. It is exactly what it pretends to be, which is you know a, a modern heir to the original series. Yeah. We jump genre, we shift. Unlike Disco, where it's an ensemble piece every week, we kind of you know you can see by the log in front who's it going to be. You know what I mean? And we kind of follow character stories uh, that are serialized slightly or or moderately, and, and you know with singular episodic episodes and jump genre as much as we can
0: yeah i love it i love it can't wait to see the rest of it so discovery's coming to an end the card just ended hopefully strange new worlds keeps going for a long time what's the future of star trek looking like at this point what's the temperature Uh, for it
1: i don't know this is you know this is really an alex kurtzman question because Mm -hmm. i pop around from show to show but i i don't have any sort of you know systemic star trek uh responsibilities obviously we talk about where it could go, and but for me right now, my actual job, which is not my actual job because I can't do it currently, but my actual job is just to to agitate for Strange New World um, yeah. because we're in prep. We were a month out of shooting when it became clear that the strike was likely, and you know, and they sh- they shut us down. So you know, we were four weeks from principal before they pulled the plug. Is this and, for the end of season two, or was this season three? Season three three? Oh man. So you know, and you know we had had a room. we had everything, you know, we we broke ten. You know, we have scripts for four <laughs> outlines for five. I mean you know and and uh, and story breaks for all of them. I mean, sort of the more the, the more general break. we break everything twice. but <laughs> you know, so we're eager to get back, obviously, but yeah. we're you know, also eager to kind of resolve these issues that are writer based and I think actor based and even still director based, you know, mm-hmm. it is shifting in a way that paradigmatic that paradigmatically is pretty challenging for those of us who make shit.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully now that the actors are joining the gang, hopefully it, it resolves itself pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. By the way, one way or the other, right? Like if mm-hmm. the actors strike, that does one thing. If the actors don't strike that, yeah, but it's gotta, it has to end. Yes. Um, it just doesn't seem to have to end tomorrow.
0: Yeah sadly. Uh, I have to ask about some Batman stuff because obviously I'm, I'm a Batman guy. I grew up with, you know, 89 and, and Returns and Forever and Batman and Robin. Like those were chi- my childhood Batman movies. So I have a lot of nostalgia for all of them in one way or another. And it's also like one of your first big Hollywood, you know, yeah. these, this is yeah. my pole introduction. So what's yeah. your your memory of working on those movies? And do you remember like a lot of studio pressure or notes or directives. Cause I know returns kind of made people want to pivot.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I came in sort of the train was already moving. I had been working, you know, Joel Schumacher sort of kindly plucked me out of obscurity. I had written a, I'm a failed fiction writer. So I had written a bunch of short stories for about 10 years that nobody ever wanted. And then I wrote a script and I went out to Hollywood and Joel read it. And he was like, um, okay, he's like the it. client. It was the, uh, no, it was actually a script called, uh, Silent Fall, Indian Summer that nobody's ever seen called Silent Fall, but he then read it and then he was like, okay, I like you, I like the way you write, I'm about to start this movie, The Client I'm going to can with Falling Down, here's Susan Sarandon's address, the book, go meet with her, she has some issues with, with, there was a script by Robert Devin so that was, he literally dropped me in, like I was airlifted in, and you know, we ended up making four movies together and I was on set Every day of every one of them. So uh, wow. it was, yeah, it was an extraordinary kind of school. And Batman Forever, what had, was had already a, a couple uh, had written a, a draft of the screenplay, and I had just finished the client, and Joel then sort of pulled me in, and and it was a really interesting experience, and beautiful, and extraordinary. And you know, we shot both movies in the Spruce Goose Dome uh in Long Beach uh and we saw so in the dome were these giant sets that were made and when I came in Val hadn't certain no one had been cast yet and it was still oh. going to be Michael I think I was sort of I was arm's length from I wasn't a producer yet you know what I mean I'm, I've never been a producer on those movies but I mean I wasn't a producer yet in terms of my sort of I didn't understand quite how it worked I didn't have the same access I, I do now that I'm old so you know I think that Val wasn't, or just was in, Robin Williams was still attached. Oh, wow. Um, And I remember sort of this extraordinary day where Joel sent me to San Francisco. And I spent the day in Robin's kitchen and him just talking about the Riddler. And he was like, genius is not the right word. It was as if he, like he had opened up his head and like the universe would just talk into it. It was, <laughs> and he was so beautiful and so kind. And I remember when I got home, he had left a message on my answering machine. We had answering machines then. And my my then girlfriend, uh, who then became my wife, who's now my ex wife, kept playing it over and over again. You know, was so the, the you know because we were kids. And there's this message from Robin And Ultimately, that he and Joel didn't see eye to eye. Jim came on. Jim was amazing. Tommy Lee, I had worked with as had Joel in the client. So there was a, you know, and, uh, and off we went and it was fun and funny and extraordinary. And, and, you know, probably even then I was very much sort of like, you know, they should just make dark Knight returns with Clint Eastwood. He's on the (laughs) lot. You know what I mean? But we were as comic book fans, we were behind really like Hollywood had not caught up at all. And so, even though Tim's Batman and Batman Returns, I think were truer to source or at least a version of source, it was scared everybody. And so they went to Joel because Joel sort of thought of Batman as the show, yeah. you know, it was kind of, you know, he thought of it as colorful and sort of big and, you know, sort of hyper real. And I think forever kind of ended up I'm walking a, a tightrope well enough. It's funny. Cause I, I saw the other version recently um, you know, and and it's funny because there's been a swell on the internet yep. and I to stay out of it mostly, you know, and, you know, it's got about 35% more psychological realism in it. You know, it's really more about guilt and shame and, you know, but the audience, the preview audience didn't want it. Like even, you know, the world mm. wasn't quite ready. That's why it was because Joel's first cut had all of it in. Yeah. And the audience was like, yeah, we just like the part where the guy's funny and he's scary and the big, you know, so it got cut down into what it is. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and it was cool. And it was also to be, it's sort of the epicenter of culture for a second. It was everywhere. And there was that seal song and it, it was sort of like, you know, <laughs> you couldn't stand, it, it was a McDonald's commercial. You couldn't stay, you couldn't not see it. You know what I mean? And, you know, now we think of that as like meh, but it actually was a kind of like in the same way that Amazon gets everything on their shopping bag. And suddenly it penetrates the world. Yeah. It penetrated in a way that actually nothing had yet as a comic book. Movie. And then we made Batman and Robin that didn't go so well.
0: <laughs> so were you watching this Schumacher cut because you wanted to kind of, are they thinking of releasing it or are you just were curious?
1: No, no, there, there is no they. I mean, the, the, the most recent they would be, you know, the folks at Warner's today. This was uh, two administrations ago, or uh, mm-hmm. one and a half administrations ago. So, and I don't know how Kevin saw it or why, but um, yeah, he's been talking it, a lot. Yeah, but it exists, you know. And so I'm certainly an advocate for it being in the world, just for Joel, you know, because yeah. you know he died and he died quietly, without a lot of, nobody was a, there wasn't a lot of honoring him and it would be a nice way to honor him I think I think you get a kick out of it. Yeah,
0: speak of a little a little shout out, did you see the end of the flash by any chance?
1: I haven't yet, but I
0: know. Yeah. <laughs> nice uh, yeah. little wink there. Yeah. It's nice yeah. to see someone pop up. But uh, I'll I'll do this quickly cuz I know I'm over time with you. Are you involved with
1: Constantine 2 and I Am Legend 2 still? Oh yeah, I mean I'm I'm on my my pens are down. Do you know what I mean? So oh, I, there's nothing to do. But yeah, those are the the next things I'm writing when I'm allowed to write again.
0: Nice. Okay. You know, so,
1: and I had already begun legend when we struck and, you know, I'm, I'm, and Francis Keanu and I have broken Constantine too. I just hadn't started typing yet.
0: Amazing. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, also as a huge fringe fan, you know, I'm selfishly just going to ask if there's any chance of like in the era of everything's getting a revival, How about a fringe revival, man?
1: You know, it's interesting because like actually before everything was getting a revival, Jeff Pinkner, who really was the day to day heart and soul of fringe, um, you know, Jeff Pinkner, uh, by the way, if you haven't watched from you should watch it. It's his show now. Um, But, you know, Jeff and I went in and we like pitched a thing to Peter Roth when he was like, it's Walter and William and they're young. And then he was like, yeah, no, (laughs) no. but you know I, I mean you know i do anna and josh have any desire to come back to fringe i don't know i mean it'd be super fun i love that show and it was you know and it was a little bit special and that's rare
0: yeah it was it was very special to me but uh, regardless i've taken up quite a bit of your time what's coming next do we have any other projects on the on the horizon that are no, already, no, already done
1: no 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 i mean i you know i'd love to get back to work on legend and constantine that would be awesome um mm-hmm. You know, I would really like to get Strange New Worlds Season 3 up and shooting. That would make me very happy right now.
0: You and me both. All right. Well, uh, I'll just say for the people listening along, Crowded Room is currently airing new episodes on Apple TV Plus every Friday, I believe it is. Strange New Worlds is on Thursdays on Paramount Plus. So it's all there. You've got a lot of stuff going on, (laughs) strike or not. I appreciate your time. Thank you.
1: It's nice to talk to you. Likewise.
0: Awesome. You too.